We come now in this session to the holiness of God. Uh, if there is a truth that has been taught in this ministry at Ligonier, it is this, this great truth on the holiness of God. There is only one attribute of God that is being declared around the throne day and night, day and night, that is being raised to the superlative degree, and that is the holiness of God. As you know, the angels are crying out, holy, holy, holy. To raise something to the superlative degree, one would repeat it three times. And in reality, what the angels are saying is that God is holy, He is holier than any of His works and any of His creatures, but more than that, He is the holiest of all beings, that He is elevated to the very highest level of holiness. He Himself is perfectly holy. This attribute is uniquely singled out by being repeated again and again. The angels are not crying out, love, 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 although God is love, as we will see in a future lesson. The angels are not crying out, truth, 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 although unmistakably, God is truth. Nor are they crying out, wrath, 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 although God is a God of vengeance and judgment. Instead, what the angels are crying out is, holy, holy, holy. I think we can say that more than any other attribute, God is identified in heaven by His holiness. Everything about God is holy. His Son is His holy Son. His Spirit is the Holy Spirit. His Word is the Holy Bible. His temple is the Holy Temple. His mount is the Holy Mount Zion. The land that He gave to His people is the holy land. Everything about God, the Alpha and the Omega, it is marked by His holiness. So what does the word holy mean as it relates to God? What does this signify when the angels are crying out, holy, holy, holy? Well, there are two primary meanings, two distinct meanings regarding the holiness of God. I say two primary meanings. Really, one is primary, the other is secondary. So I want us to begin with the primary meaning of the holiness of God. This means that God is separated above His creation. The word holy simply means to separate, to cut, to cut something in two so that the two sides are now distant and removed. The holiness of God means that God is set apart from His creation, that He is separated above His creation. We're not on His level. He is on a level distinctly and infinitely above us. Holiness means that God is elevated above us. He is distinct from us. He is superior to us. He is a cut above us. He is holy other than us. This is the idea of holiness. And interwoven with this 
is that he is high and lifted up, that God is transcendent, that God is exalted in glory far above us, that God is supreme in his greatness compared to all of the works of his hands. There is the idea of royalty and dignity of this splendor of God in His holiness. He is majestic as He is elevated above us. He is robed in regal splendor. He is dazzling in His kingly glory. This is what it means for God to be holy. We are merely pedestrian compared to this exalted God. Exodus 15 verse 11 is one of the first verses to use this word holy and combines with it this idea of kingly majesty as though he is far above us and robed in splendor. Exodus 15 11 says, "'Who is like you among the gods, O Lord?' Who is like you? Listen to this now. Majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders. This is to say that God in His exalted holiness is awe-inspiring. We cannot look upon God in His holiness and yawn and be bored then we didn't see Him because God in His holiness is stunning. He is staggering, breathtaking, so magnificent in the beauty of His holiness that it is mind-boggling to mere creatures to gaze upon His attributes and to contemplate the majesty that belongs to Him alone. We say today in addressing The Queen of England, for example, we address her as your majesty, as she is in her palace or in her castle, as she is surrounded by attendants and and she is attired in royal robes. Infinitely more so is God, dressed in glory, enthroned in splendor. 1 Samuel 2 verse 2 says, there is no one holy like the Lord. In other words, His holiness is so far removed from us that there is no comparison that can be made to God. He is incomparable in His holiness. Indeed, there is no one like you. He is entirely unique. He is so high and exalted, so majestic Psalm 22, verse 3, combines this idea of the holiness of God and being enthroned in majesty. It says, you are holy, you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. Again, this idea that holiness represents the exaltation and the magnification and the enthronement of God being high and lifted up. In this sense, it touches upon the idea even of His sovereignty, that He is supreme in His glory. 
The signature text on this truth is Isaiah chapter 6. I'll never forget picking up that book by a man I did not know at that time, R.C. Sproul, many, many years ago, The Holiness of God. I remember opening that book and just being mesmerized chapter by chapter as he unfolded especially this scene in Isaiah chapter 6. I remember at that time I was looking to pursue my doctorate, and, and I decided wherever this man is teaching, that's where I'm going to go to school. I'm just glad it was in the United States and, it, and, and on this planet, or I would have had to have gone to another planet, I guess, to, to sit at his feet. But the way that he unfolded this text was jaw-dropping for me. It, it was knee-bending for me. It was heart-enlarging for me. As I was overwhelmed, as I had never been before, by the sheer awesome holiness of God. Isaiah 6, verse 1, you know the text. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord. King Uzziah had ruled over Israel for some 52 years. The boy king, age 16, assuming the throne. And for most of his reign, he reigned in, and ruled in prosperity and advancement of the nation. And you recall how he became drunk with his own power and became blinded by his arrogant pride. And he stormed into the temple and and despite the protests of the priests, he barged in where he was forbidden to enter, and God struck him with leprosy. And when he died, it was jolting for the nation. It was in that crisis that Isaiah entered into a place to seek God. He turned to God, and it was in that experience that he saw the Lord. He was given a vision of the true king. Israel's throne was now vacant. And Isaiah sees the true king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, none other than God himself. And how did he see God? He saw God in the towering, transcendent majesty of his holiness I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. He is seated in that He is actively presiding as the sovereign Lord of history, the one who removes kings, the one who has removed this king, the one who will raise up His successor. I saw Him sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, towering above, towering in His transcendence. And then He says, with the train of His robe filling the temple, the greatness of a king, as you know, was measured in part by the length of His train. The greater the king, the longer the train. This king is so majestic and so sovereign that the entire throne room is filled up with His train. There is no room for any rival 
No room for any competitor. He is the one and only dominant sovereign over history and over mankind. And as he peers into this heavenly scene, seraphim, the word means burning ones. They are burning in their passion for God, burning in their intensity for God. Those who are closest to God are most on fire for God. You cannot be in the presence of God and be unaffected by the awesomeness of who God is. And the closer they draw as they are in the immediate presence of this high and lifted up God, they are intensified with passion and devotion and energy to serve this God. There is no lackadaisical spirit here. There is no casual worship here. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, sensing their complete unworthiness to even be in the presence of such an infinitely holy God. They cover their face, unable to even look directly into the blazing light of His resplendent glory. And with two He covered His feet, as Moses covered his feet as he stepped onto holy ground, signifying that a servant is unworthy to be in the presence of their master. And with two he flew, eagerly ready to be dispatched from the throne. Those wings, those two wings flying, ready to be commissioned and to dart off into the universe and to carry out the will and the work of God. They are sitting on ready to do the bidding of this holy God. And one called out to another. This antiphonal worship canoping over the throne of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And then the other side responding, the whole earth is full of His glory. Declaring His holiness, they like royal attendants and kingly servants around the throne in this stately court, declaring the holiness of this king who is seated upon His throne. Holy holier, holiest, separated, more separated, most separated, holy other than us, a gaping chasm separating holy God from His creatures. And the revelation and the shining forth and the manifestation of this holiness as it comes down from heaven, the whole earth is full of His glory. Glory is the revelation of His holiness. What a scene this is. And you'll recall how as this passage unfolds, the foundations of the thresholds were trembling. At the voice of Him who called out, while the temple was filling with smoke, this whole heavenly scene is like a a volcanic eruption as there is a, a shaking and a moving 
in the presence of such a holy God. And Isaiah says, woe is me. Judged is me, damned is me, cursed is me to be in the presence of such an infinitely holy God. Isaiah was not comparing himself to anyone else in his day or in his time and assuming I'm a little bit better than this person or that person. He was measuring himself against the standard of God's infinitely, absolutely perfect holiness. Woe is me, for I am ruined. I I am undone. I am disintegrating and coming apart from the inside. I'm unraveling like a cheap sweater in the presence of this God, for I'm a man of unclean lips. We would say, Isaiah, that's the best part about you. You're a prophet. Your lips, they speak the Word of God. You are the trumpet of God, the voice of God upon the earth. I'm a man of unclean lips because I'm a man with an unclean heart and my lips simply speak out of the depths of my heart and I live among a people of unclean lips. How do you know this, Isaiah? For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. It is a devastating experience, to gaze upon the holiness of God. It melts us down. It shakes us down. You remember when Peter recognized after the miraculous catch of fish that he was standing in the presence of holy God. He said, depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. You remember John on the island of Patmos? He heard that voice speaking behind him and he turned to see the one who was speaking to him. And he saw the glorified Christ in his holiness. And verse 17 says, He fell at his feet like a dead man. You know what that means? He just fainted, he went unconscious. He. he, suddenly lost his senses to even look upon the holiness of God. If God were to appear in this room in His holiness, we would all just go unconscious. We wouldn't be able to bear it up. That is why when we go to heaven, we have to have a glorified body with glorified eyes to even be able to look upon this holy, awesome, glorified God in heaven, or we would burn up like a cinder in His very presence. This is the primary meaning of the holiness of God. And the church has always been strongest when it's had its highest regard for the holiness of God. And those times and epochs when the church has been weakest has been those times when it has lost a sense of the vertical holiness of God. 
and want to bring God down to our level, and everything is a horizontal-type relationship with God, that is when the church has been the weakest, if not even unregenerate. The primary meaning is His transcendent, awesome glory. The secondary meaning, and I have but seconds to tell you this, is His moral perfection, His moral excellencies, that He is sinless, He is without moral blemish, He is flawless in all of His ways. All of His decisions are perfect. All of His judgments are perfect. All of His decrees are holy and perfect. Everything about this great God is holy and perfect. Therefore, He can take no pleasure in unrighteousness. There is a moral revolt within Him whenever He beholds sin and wickedness and iniquity. The Scripture says that the Lord is in His holy temple. His eyes behold and test the sons of men. The one who loves violence, His soul hates. In Psalm 5, we read, You hate all who do iniquity. You destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. This is because He is an infinitely holy God. He cannot be neutral towards sin. He is holy. And He loves righteousness. He delights in purity and moral conformity to His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is our God. He is awesome in His holiness. And there is a separation between Him and us that shall forever be there, and even in heaven there will remain a separation between His throne And us, as the blood-washed, redeemed of all of the ages, He will forever be holy God, distinct and unto Himself. 